All right, people's time's up. Go ahead and uh, find your seats, if you will. Good morning, Allison. Good morning. All right, well, hey, good morning. If I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here. We now have two pastors. We're really moving up to the big time now. Uh, so anyway, good to, uh, good to have you here. Um, what we're going to do this morning is uh, we're going to continue doing what we've been trying to do this summer. I don't know if we've made it um, perfectly clear, so I'll try to do that today. Uh, we're trying to discuss a little bit and take the summer to identify who we are, talk about who we are as a church. Um, for the last five weeks, we, uh, we talked about disciples, and the reason we did so is because our purpose is making disciples, but there's another side to that. It's making disciples together, and so for the next five weeks after that, or starting today, we are going to talk about the together portion. Making disciples is our purpose Together is our preference. We're going to talk about our preference, and we're going to talk about the together portion for the next five weeks. And so we're going to do that through a series that we're calling The One Another's. Um, and so if you're not familiar with what the one another's are, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, just a phrase that's given to Scripture, to commands, instructions, guidelines in the Bible, and specifically in the New Testament, where God is describing how we are to live, key word here, together. And so that's what we're going to do. Let me give you some of the stats on the one another's. Um, one another's is actually one word in the Greek. It's a lalone or a lalone. Um, and so it's, it's actually spoken 100 times in 94 of the New Testament verses. 47 of those are instructions of the church and how they are to live together. 60% of those come from the Apostle Paul. One third of all the one another's have to deal with the, the, the topic of unity and so in two weeks, we'll be talking on the topic of unity. Uh, another um, one-third of those instruct believers on how to love one another. And then the remaining one-third speak about truth or speaking truth. We'll talk about that, judging, praying for one another, hospitality, humility, um, encouragement, forgiveness, confession. And four of them, four of the one-anothers have to deal with kissing. I'm not even joking. If you've ever read it, it's, you know, greet one another with a holy kiss. This is one we're not going to be talking about, nor will we adopt as a practice. Uh, I will kiss my wife. I will kiss my kids. I'm not kissing you. That's just how it goes. And so today, the one that we're going to talk about, the one one another that we're going to pull out of Scripture, we're going to talk on humility. Because 15%, the third biggest one, 15% of all the one another's have to deal with an attitude of humility. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Here's what it is. These are some of the one another's. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, clothe yourselves in humility. To who? Here it is. Toward one another. Philippians 2.3 says, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That is humility. Romans 12.10 says, give preference to one another in honor. Galatians 5.13 says, serve one another. John 13, Jesus says, wash one another's feet, which is serving one another, which is humility. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit or surrender or succumb or yield to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, all of these one another's are simply saying, be humble. Be humble with one another. And what's crazy is in addition to that, in addition to all those one another's, 
The Bible references, catch this, humility and the fact that we should be humble over 900 times from cover to cover. And so it is a very big deal. It is a big deal what we're going to be talking about today. And so let's try to define what humility is, but let's start with talking about what humility is not. Uh, Humility is not a weakness. It is definitely not a weakness. Uh, You don't need to become a doormat to become humble. Uh, Mother Teresa, for example, probably one of the most uh, humble ladies that ever walked the planet. She was anything but a doormat. She actually changed the world through her compassion and through her humility. Um, Humility is not beating yourself up, right? It's not beating yourself up or putting yourself down or abandoning your self-worth or your self-esteem or even having no confidence whatsoever. That is not humility. Humility is also not this. So watch this video right here. You can go. You don't even have a stop. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Then you go. No, 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 no. You first. Then you go. I'm gonna go after you. Get the road, Jack. No, you go. Then you go. No, you go. Then you go. No, you go. No, you go. I'm not going until you go. No, you go. I'm not gonna go until you go. No, you go. 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 Oh, you go. What? What a riot. <laughs> My driver would like you to go first, please. No, you go. 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 Yum. I've got a lot of sides in here. You go. Crossword? I'm just kidding. There's no crossword. Go ahead. You go. No way. Go ahead. Go. 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 You go. All right, if humility is putting others first, that's not exactly how you do it. It's not a competition of submission, if you will. And so that is not humility. What a great definition of humility is, is written by a guy named C.S. Lewis. If you've ever read any of his work, it's insanely great. Here is probably the best definition of what humility is that I have heard of. Uh, True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. I'll say that again. It's a great definition. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And so here's what humility is. First and foremost, humility is a a command. It is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a proposal. it's it's, It's actually a requirement. The prophet Micah said this. He says, what does the Lord require of you? It says to act justly, which is good, to love mercy. That makes sense. And here's our command, to walk humbly with our God. Humility is actually a command. It's not just something you pick up on the way. God commands us to be humble. And the reason it is a command, catch this, the reason it's a command is because humility is hard. Humility is hard. It doesn't come natural. It takes effort. It's countercultural. It's counterintuitive. And our human nature literally rails against it. We rail against humility. And the reason we do is because of pride. Pride is the problem. And so there's this great verse. I love it in Proverbs. Here's what it says. It says, it is not good to eat much honey, which I love that. Healthy tips from the Bible. It's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. And this is a problem for us. It's a problem for Winnie the Pooh as well. But it is a... It is 
a problem if you seek one's own glory. Proverb also says this. It says, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit, which is pride, comes before a fall. Years ago, when I was first at Overlake, um, I had, I don't know what it was. I just had a lot of extra time. So I took up bowling. Any bowlers out here? Anybody bowl? Yeah, yeah, okay. I actually have my own bowling ball and my own bowling shoes. I took it seriously, very seriously. It was me and one other guy from the, from the church. We actually would go out, and we would go bowling in the evenings, and um, we got pretty good. I thought we got pretty good, and so just to be fun, we challenged anybody on staff to bowling, um, anyone that would challenge us, and so um, I got a little cocky, and so I started smack-talking everybody around, and pretty soon, the pastor at the time named Rick Kingham said, fine, I will bowl against you, and I'll, me and the executive pastor. So I'm like, all right, I get, to, I get to bowl against the senior pastor and the executive pastor. They're so old, I don't even know if they could hold a bowling ball. And so I was like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to demolish them. And so for weeks leading up, I'm not, talk, I'm not kidding you, I talk so much smack so much. I love competition. If you, if you get to know me, I love competition. I love going for it. So I let them know what was going to happen to them when we actually went bowling. And so I let them know. And then we finally got out and went bowling. And they got, you know, the first two, you know, frames that they had up, they both rode, you know, strikes. And I thought, oh, this is lucky. Well, I come to find out that Rick was a competition bowler. And Dana was in a league for the first half of his life. And so I'm talking all this smack. And no joke, prior to going to do that, Rick actually quoted this verse. And he's like, bro, pride comes before the fall. And I'm like, yeah, old man, whatever, you know. <laughs> but I ate those words. And since then, I have never forgot this verse. <laughs> because I was so prideful, I thought there's no way in the world. And they slaughtered us. It wasn't even close. And so... Um, pride does come for, before the fall. And pride, actually, just so you know, is the original sin. In the garden, why did they sin? Because of pride. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to know things that God knew. They wanted to be in his place. That's pride. That's in us. And our culture, catch this, our culture says the complete opposite. They say it's a good thing, right? To be prideful, be proud of yourself. But I would say be careful, because there is a spectrum of self-worth, a spectrum. On one side of it, there is confidence, and confidence is good. But on the other side, it slowly moves over to pride and to ego and to arrogance. And so be very careful that your confidence that you have comes from Christ and not in your own abilities. So we can be confident in him, but when we become prideful, that becomes a bad thing. And it happens, truly, we know this. It happens to all of us. All of us. Pride sneaks up on all of us. Straight up, as honest and transparent as I can possibly be. Last week, I sat and leaned up against that garbage can, and I was having a huge ego struggle with the attendance of Sunday morning. I did not realize this was a thing before I started um, becoming a senior pastor. When I was a pastor for 17 years, I never thought about attendance. I didn't care about numbers. All of a sudden, it feels like it's a direct reflection on me and my ego. And so when nobody was coming in because the sun came out, I found myself. Now, here's the deal. I get this is summer. This is how it works. People spend time. They wait nine months for this moment to go out with their families. And I can't because I have to come here, right? 
on a Sunday morning. And so I get the way that church works and then in the fall, everything will be back to normal again. So between, you know, Memorial Day to Labor Day, it'll be nice if people show up, but I won't expect a lot of people to be here. And when, when that was happening on Sunday, last Sunday, I found myself in the back literally embarrassed to be here because I'm like, oh my gosh, the church has been going up and up and up and up. I thought we were going to break the, you know, we're already in the 1% of church plants and attendance and growth and things of that nature. But I thought, oh man, we're going to destroy the summer. We're going to defeat the culture of Washington State um, by the momentum that we have going on. And my ego got in the way and I found myself insecure and prideful and what the heck is going on this happens to all of us we all struggle with ego that's a stupid thing to have an ego about is attendance it has nothing to do with me has everything to do with God and so it captures us all and so why does God command us why does he say to us be humble walk humbly and there's a handful of reasons. One of the reasons is it's good for us. It's good for you. It's good for me. Yes, if you are humble, if you act humbly, there will be times when you will probably be walked over, taken advantage of, and even mocked for the way that you live. It probably will happen. But there is a little-known secret that when you walk humbly and you put others first and you serve others, it also helps you. So you help others, it helps you as well. Jesus said this. He says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Hence my bowling experience. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Those are words from Jesus Christ, our leader. James, Jesus' half-brother, says this. He says, humble yourself to who? Before the Lord. And he will lift you up. And eventually we all know that when we walk into eternity, we will be lifted up and we will be in glory with Christ Jesus. That's how it's going to be. But even in this lifetime, we find that God will lift us up and give us blessings when you are humble. And he will help you as you help others. And while you put others first, he will bless you in that way. And so humility is good for us and it's good for others. God said to King Solomon, he said this, it also applies to us. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then, so catch this, it's actually conditional. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. See, God has this way of blessing us and blessing the land in which we are a part of. The Israelites are a great example of this. So like when they were around, what would happen is God would bless an individual like Jacob, or actually Joseph is a great example, and where he would bless Joseph. Whatever Joseph was doing, he blessed his hands, and the land around him and the people around him were affected. If The household that he was in, in Pharaoh's household, he blessed that household because Joseph was a part of it. When we walk humbly, God blesses us, and it will bless our neighborhoods. It will bless our families. It will bless our church. It will bless all of us if we walk humbly. I saw this play out in real time a couple, a couple, conversa- a couple weeks ago. I was in a conversation with someone who was very frustrated about what, some of the things that were happening in the church, and I knew their frustration, so I invited one of our advisory team members to come with me, Dave Kelly. Dave Kelly, I don't see him here right now, but he's been my mentor for the last literally 15 years. 
And so he came with me, and we had this conversation, and things definitely got heated at the Olive Garden. All right? I have, you know, <laughs> we were there, all the, all the older people that were around were starting to look over, and, and he was getting, this guy was getting elevated. And here's the thing, like I said, I'm competitive. So the moment he got elevated, um, I'm starting to get elevated. Like, truly, this is just like, I have, if it's fight or flight, I have no flight in me. It is fight. And so he's starting to elevate. I'm starting to elevate. People in the Olive Garden are looking at us, starting to, we're making a scene at Olive Garden. I'm like, I'm a pastor. I hope I don't know anybody here as this is going on. And Dave, my mentor, so great. He start, this guy started ripping on Dave, attacking Dave. And I found myself getting hotter and hotter, the nicest guy you've ever met in the world. And he's, and he's attacking him. I want to defend my friend. But Dave, unbelievably, the amount of humility that it took was insane. He took it, and it didn't face him, and he lowered the temperature of the room of Olive Garden. People were thankful for Dave. They could eat their food. Um, he calmed him down. He calmed me down. He was humble. He didn't become hot-headed. It was unbelievable. And he, actually, his humility affected everyone in that place. I was very impressed. He's, he's an impressive man. And so humility not only is good for you, but it's good for others. And the last thing it does is it points people to Jesus. It points people to Jesus. Humility truly does, because here's why. It is different. When you are humble in a circumstance, um, it is different, and so it'll turn heads. In fact, it's attractive, and people want to know what is different about that person. Humility is one of those things that causes that. Tim Tebow is a perfect example of this. If you've got a chance to, maybe you don't know sports, you don't follow sports. Tim Tebow was a football player, and now has turned into a baseball player, but the media cannot get enough of Tim Tebow. Why? Because Tim Tebow doesn't act like any other football player or athlete that's on the planet. He is humble. Most athletes want to tell you how great they are and what they have become and all of these things. But Tim Tebow is different. All of his skills, he points back up to Jesus in humility. I was watching some interviews with him this week, and I'm just blown away by that man. Blown away by the fact that he just, all this praise gets reaped on him. And when he goes through struggles, no matter what he does, he remains humble. And that humility is just attractive. People look at it, and what he does is he simply points them to Jesus. He says, it's not me. It is God working through me. And he says this stuff all the time. So he's a great example. So truly, humility is good for us. It's good for others. And it points people to Jesus. So it's a good thing. It's a command. It's a good thing. And so here's my hope for us as a church, right? This is the one thing that I would love you to take away, is that you would try on, we would try on humility. Like clothes, we would try it on. I don't know about you, but when I get into my closet, um, I pull something out, I pull something out, that doesn't work, throw that on the ground, I start to create a pile. The first shirt that I should put on should say humility on there. That should be the first shirt. And it shouldn't be an undershirt. It should be on the outside, right? Not so people will praise you and go, hey, look how humble you are. Because the moment that happens, humility flies out the window. You have the wrong intent. Humility, we should wear it like clothes. Here's what I'm talking about. The apostle Peter says this. He says, all of you, which includes everyone here, clothe yourselves. So put on, adorn, or dress yourself with humility. Towards who? Here it is. Towards one another. 
Because that is why, okay, because that's why God opposes the proud but shows favor, and other translations say gives grace to the humble. Therefore, after all that, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, and he, here's his promise, may lift you up in due time. In his time. When he's ready to lift us up. And so we should try on humility. And so what does this look like? Because right now it's all pie in the sky. Everything I've talked about is like, oh, be humble. Well, how do you be humble? How do you try on humility? You put others first. You put, in this series, one another first. We put each other first. So let's talk practical ways in which we can actually be humble with one another and exist together. One, for example, we could try listening is a good start to go from. Instead of talking, we could try listening. Listening to understand. And so this could be in the context of your marriage. This could be in the context of your kids. This could be in context with your friends or whatever relationships you're in. Listening to understand and truly trying to give the person the benefit of the doubt. Choosing to trust them rather than to not believe them. Putting yourself in their shoes and listening. Lots of people love, love to talk. And actually, I would say this. Arrogance oftentimes will lead to loneliness. And the reason it is, is because what does an arrogant person want to do? They want to talk, talk, talk about what? Themselves. And we all know that guy, right? That gal, that person who loves to talk about themselves. And what do we want to do when we enter into a conversation with them? We want to step away from that conversation, or we try to interject, well, I did this once, well, I did that once, you know what I mean? And then they one-up you, and you're like, dang it, I am so lame, right? <laughs> Instead of trying to do that competition, why not just listen to them? Listen to them. Listen, 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 and listen, and try to understand. And maybe they'll give you a chance to speak, but if they don't, just listen. That's a practical way to put others first. Another way is to elevate them. To elevate them. Two, two ways in which you can do this. One is you could privately pray for them. That is actually elevating them. You are humbly getting on your knees and you are lifting them up to God saying, God, please bless them. Please love them. Please care for them. You are elevating them privately. And then what you can do is you can praise them publicly. That's a great way to do it. In fact, the best way to praise someone publicly is not when they're standing there. Praise them behind their back. If you want to talk about someone, don't praise them there. Because if you praise them right there, you've got all the glory that you wanted. You know, you've got your affirmation there. You've got your reward, if you will. But if you praise them privately or publicly behind their back, that's awesome. That's awesome. Lift them up when they're not around. Probably, guess what? Word will get back around to them. It truly does. It always does. Um, but pray for them privately Praise them publicly and elevate them as a person and as a human by putting them first. Last thing you could do is you could sacrifice for them. Humility means to put others first, to sacrifice, to give something up. That means putting their wants on top of your wants, so you are lowering that. So in a practical way, um, if that's the case, my son, he wants to sword fight all the time. He calls them lightsabers. 
and he will want to, I mean, I'm not joking. It is 24 hours a day the boy wants to swing a lightsaber at somebody or something. And so I, I, it has been over and over again, and I can't tell you how many lightsaber battles we've had um, and how many times, and every time, by the way, this is, I'm not making this, this is not in my notes, but every time what he'll do is he will, he will sword and he'll hit you and then he'll stab you and he says, I got you, fall down, you know. <laughs> What did he, I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, yeah, the other day he was swinging at the water, at the, at the, at the ocean, at the lake, and he's like, I got you, water, fall down, you know. <laughs> and so I take time humbly because I've got a lot of things to do to spend him and play. I mean, I'd sword fight with you five minutes ago, you know, or you get up when your wife asks you to do something, your husband asks you to do something, or maybe you don't even let them ask. You know what they want, you know their desires, and you jump to that before they even ask. So it's humbly sacrificing. And the biggest thing I know in this area that we can sacrifice more than anything else on, in this specific region is time. And so humbly giving other people your time, time with your wife. Time with, my wife's love language um, is like, uh, it's, um, it's quality time, right? It's like the worst love language there is. So, <laughs> so. Sorry, she's right there, and <laughs> so it's the worst one because they just want to be with you and you get nothing done, right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we talk about this. We do in counseling. Um, <laughs> but my wife wants quality time. The biggest thing that I can give her is my time and my attention and, and not be focused off on something else. And we could do the same things when we humble our wants, our needs, our desires, and we give to them first. And so here's the deal. What if all of us, those are just some practical ways, what if all of us did this? In this room, what if we did? What if we tried on humility in our marriage? What would our marriage look like? I can tell you this, it would probably look better. Whatever stage you're at in your marriage if you try on humility, it will, probably hu uh, it will probably improve your marriage. It'll probably improve your friendships if you try on humility. It'll improve your relationship with your kids, and it will improve things at work, believe it or not. When your boss asks you to do something, rather than grumbling under your breath, say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, right away, I'm on it. You know, even try that. Try it in that tone as well. Yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Even <laughs> say that. Yes, sir, yes, ma'am, I'm on it. That'll be confusing. <laughs> we should try on humility because if we did, our world would look better. We would help ourselves, we would help others, and we would point them to Jesus. And when we're all doing this, catch this, if we're all giving, if we're all giving in a sense of humility, putting the other ones first, guess what we're also doing? We're also receiving. Because with one hand you give and with the other hand you receive. And then you hand it out and you give what you just received and then you give what you just received and every single one of us, our community, this church would look different and people would say, what is wrong with those people? They're just like Tim Tebow. There's like media following them around all the time. They're amazing. Something's different about them and we would be able to point and say, hey, Jesus, it's all about Jesus in this. He asked us to be humble. We're trying to be humble. It's hard. Do we do it all the time? No. But should we keep going at it? Yeah, we should. And so to conclude, what I would love to do is share with you an example of Christ's humility. Not only does he command us to do this, he modeled it in a huge way. And Paul talks about it in Philippians. Here's what he says. 
It says, in your relationships, so Paul's talking to us, with one another, there it is, one another's are everywhere. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what was Christ's mindset? Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Think about that. That's a big statement. Huge statement. Christ could have used all his power, his deity, all the power that's inside of him for his own advantage. He could have used it for his wants, his needs, his desires, but he chose to put others first. Who first? Us first. It says, rather, he made himself nothing. That's humility. By taking the very nature of a servant. That's humility. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He, here it is, humbled himself. And how did he do that? By becoming, and this is the key, obedient to death, even to death on a cross. The key to humility is obedience. And as much as I desire to dive into that, I'm not going to have a chance today. I promise sometime in the near future, we will talk about humility as a series. And we will talk through the key to humility being obedience. But for right now, let's just do this. Let's agree to try on humility, like a shirt that we wear. Every morning when you get up, you put on your clothes. You're just like, ah, I'm also putting on humility. That's what Peter is saying in that. He's saying, try it on. Be humble to one another. And if we do that, guys, this process of making disciples will be effective, if that's our goal, and it'll also be more enjoyable to be around each other if we're all acting and walking Amen. Let's pray.